0: Well, thank you for that, guys. That was really good. That was really sweet. In a lot of our study in John 17:17, 17, 17, that word is truth. I asked them to um, do a special song for us, and I actually recommended that they sing uh, a mighty fortress built out an old, resounding hymn written by Luther, with Blinda playing the drums. But uh, I'm glad they uh, Mike emailed me. That's kind of a hard song for us to sing. Uh, so about uh, Psalm 1, and I thought good choice and thank you for that. How true it is. Delighting in the law of the Lord and we are blessed because of that. Well, we are almost during our study, not of the Gospel of John, but nearing the end of our study in John 17. And maybe a five-part study, I guess, on verse 17 of that chapter. This is the final sermon on sanctification from John 17 and
1: it is our prayer
0: as uh, your shepherds and servants and leaders that the truth of God's Word that is sown in your heart will bear a fruit of righteousness, not just for the next few days or weeks or months, but for the rest of your lives, the rest of our lives, that our study in John 17 will continue to bear fruit, fruits of sanctification, holiness, righteousness, faithfulness unto the Lord. And even decades down the road, we can say, Um, God blessed us tremendously Uh, those months when we looked at John 17 with a microscope and we peered into our hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit to apply these truths and our children, our children's children, are still benefiting from our, um, our feast in the Gospel of John. Well, just to review briefly this chapter, the simple outline of John 17, Again, verses one through five. If you remember, weeks and weeks ago we studied verses one through five, how our Lord prayed for himself, prayed that the Father would glorify him, so that he might in turn glorify the Father. And then verses six through nineteen we looked at Christ praying for the apostles, and then we will we have the privilege in weeks to come to study verses twenty through twenty six and Christ praying for us directly but as of now we're still in the middle section of this chapter on verse 17 it is clear from verse 6 on through verse 19 there is a change of focus our Lord had been praying for himself and he turns his attention away from himself to his dear apostles These eleven men that Christ had chosen, who are gathered around Him in the upper room, He lifts up His eyes and He petitions to the Father on their behalf. Like a skilled lawyer, He gave four reasons why the Father must answer His request for them. He, He petitions the Father and gives Him just arguments, reasonings, uh, proofs why the Father must answer His request. First of all, because these are the men who kept God's Word. The, the, the revelation of God, given through Jesus Christ, was rejected by this world. Our Lord came to Israel, children of Abraham, beneficiaries of the covenant given to their forefathers, patriarchs, and yet Israel rejected Jesus' manifestation of God, except for these eleven men, they received God's Word, and they kept God's Word. Therefore, O oh Father, I am praying for them. Please answer my requests. Second reason why He asked the Father to answer His prayers is because they belong to the Father. Seven times in John 17, repeats again and again, You gave them to Me. These people belong to you. You gave them to me, and I give them back to you. They are your inheritance. And so for your own sake, for for your own glory, for your own name, answer my prayers. Third reason, is because God, your, your glory is at stake. Verse 10, these people will glorify you on earth. And so, By you answering my my prayers and building them up, keeping them, sanctifying them, they will bring you glory on earth. And the final reason is because of their task. Their task is to do a very difficult mission of going into this world to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So these are the reasons why God must answer Christ's prayer for the apostles and also for you and I as well. All these apply to us directly we have kept God's Word by God's grace when Jesus revealed God in the scriptures we don't hate the scriptures we don't rebel against the Word of God we embrace it we have kept God's Word by God's grace we belong to the Father God's glory is at stake in the church today when the church is beautiful when the church is holy and righteous God is glorified. When the church is stained with sin, marred with compromise, God's glory is diminished. Likewise with them, it's true of us. And because of our task, we are called not to separate ourselves from the sinful world and get into a holy huddle where we enjoy this Christian life. We soak it in and we live it out for our enjoyment. No, we have been called, just like the apostles, to go into all ethnos, go into all nations and make disciples of all people. So, this Christ's prayer applies to us, and the reasons applies to us directly. Remember, it was instructed for us why we must urgently pray for one another, because of these reasons. Why we must continue to, with perseverance, pray for our missionaries, pray for our workers throughout the world. Just heard this morning, the Venezuela kicked out New Tribes Mission for political reasons. All these missionaries have been banished from that nation. And all these believers who had dear co-workers, they have to leave immediately. Because of, um, just for, for political vain reasons, it's a reminder for us to continue to pray for one another and pray for our workers abroad. Remember again that John 17 is an audible prayer. That Christ prayed out loud for a purpose because He wanted us to hear it. Isn't it amazing? the Bob was saying, God ordained for us, sovereignly, to come to this country, to be here at this time, to be alive at this moment, to study John 17, why He wanted us to hear Christ's prayer. And the the, the significance of this prayer, it was on the eve of His death. It was His last prayer on the earth, apart from Gethsemane. It was His last prayer for the church and for us. The... the Time of prayer is significant for us. John 13, Christ understood that the hour had come for him to depart from this earth. You know, in John 2, Christ said, the hour hasn't come. Right, throughout the Gospel of John, the hour has not yet come. John 12, the hour is near. John 13, the hour has come. And when the hour is imminent for His departure, for His death, He prays for you and I. When He repeatedly told the disciples that He was leaving, He was leaving, He was leaving... Their hearts were melting and breaking within them. Lord, why can't we go with You? Why are You leaving us as orphans? You're abandoning us. You called us. We followed after You faithfully. Now You're leaving us. Their hearts were melting within them. Christ gave them the great sermon from 14 through 17. In the upper room, discourse, And then He ends it with this prayer. Just highlighting to them. That as he prayed for them, he continues to pray for them. And he continues to pray these same prayers. Verse 20. He prays for us. He continues to pray for us, these very things. And the prayer for the apostles were twofold, remember? Just twofold prayer. Keep and sanctify. Father, keep them. Don't lose them. Don't let them go. Don't disown them. That's such an important prayer. Again, I don't want to bring up this uh, foster thing or, or or you know adoption thing again and again, but we are maybe two three weeks away from getting a child, and there are these horror stories of these children, who are brought into nice homes, and out of about uh, four really shallow petty reasons, these parents give up on these children because they broke the TV, you know, because they have temper tantrums, because they say some bad words. Uh, so, almost on a whim, these parents say, Okay, we're not going to adopt you. Go back to another, go back to another foster, foster family. And we think about that. And what if God were to treat us that way? What if we are promised all these things and God says at the end, No, you're not good enough. You're too filthy. I didn't know you would commit these, so many sins. I didn't know you would be this rebellious or this unfaithful. And what if the Father refused to keep us and abandoned us? At the end, all of this would have been a cruel joke. All of the Gospels would have been a a nightmare to us. But Christ prays, Lord keeps them to the end. And because it is God that's praying, it, it reveals God's will, a promise that He holds on to us. We don't hold on to Him. Our salvation is not in our hands. It's not really our perseverance that's the issue. It's God preserving us, God holding on to us. As He said in John 10, No one can snatch them out of My hands. Not only that, no one can snatch you and I from the Father's hand. And that was Christ's second to the last prayer for us. And then His final prayer was found in verse 17. We camped here for the last four or five weeks. Sanctify. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. What an awesome study. What an incredible study in verse 17. I don't know about you, but I'll never be the same again. And from the things that I've heard from many of you, so many of you, there's God is literally doing a heart work, a revival work in so many hearts. And it's not because of me, it's not because of Cornerstone, but it's because of the Scriptures, it's because of the power of God's Word, and because God has ordained that He would do the spiritual work through His Word. Verse 17 is so important for us. So many precious truths that we've, we've discovered um, together in the past several weeks. I mean, just a few that we found together that sanctification is God's work and not ours. That God does His work. He will do whatever it takes to make us holy. Isn't that amazing? He will do whatever it takes. He will use any means possible Scripture and also direct discipline. Using life circumstances, trials and sufferings. Why? Not to make us happy. Not to make us comfortable. Not, not for us to enjoy this life. But, but so that we would be holy and share and, and, and partake of His divine nature of holiness. What a comfort to us, right? That even our Christian lives, even our sanctification is not up to us. It's up to God. That our arms are too short to box with God. And He will pound us and pound us and pound us. And He will never let us go. And He will make us holy. I praise God for that. Reminds us that we are foreigners to holiness. We are sinners through and through. That sin is alive and well in our flesh. Therefore, we cannot be holy. We cannot produce this holiness. Therefore, if there is any inkling of righteousness in us, it is a proof of God's work. It is a proof of our salvation. It is a proof of the genuineness of our faith. And I shared with you that illustration from Zenga, right, of Eugene. Uh, He was cleaning up after he was robbed. Some guys came in and took off with his register. He was three in the morning cleaning up, picking up glass, and there was peace in his heart. There was joy. There was gratitude and thanksgiving. And he said to himself, this is not me. Because I'm a sinner. Man, I hate it when people rob me. Right? When somebody breaks my glass and takes my cash register, man, I get angry, but I have peace. Where is this coming from? It's coming from the Holy Spirit. And this is God. It's not me because I am not holy. God is doing this work. Remember that salvation is not the end. The truth that salvation is just the beginning on the road of sanctification it's not this idea of we're saved and the work is done we're on this escalator and we can just relax because it will take us to the next level of holiness and righteousness no, when we are saved it's time for us to really begin the work because it is just the beginning we learn that we we so struggle with what the will of God is for us in our lives but it's manifestly clear that God's will for us is to be holy holy Leviticus 19.2, 1 Peter one fifteen, God said, I want you to be holy. Why? Because I am holy. I want you to be like me. I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. I want you to taste the sweetness of what I am tasting. I want you to experience this pleasure, this delight of holiness. It's the idea you go and you have a good food, you have a good meal and you want to share it with your friends. You know, tell your neighbors about this restaurant. Come and have this meal with me because it is so sweet. It is so good. That's what God is saying. I want to share this with you because this is who I am. 1 Thessalonians four three. God's will for us is sanctification. It's holiness. It's purity. And then finally, our Lord's prayer in verse 17 reveals to us how important sanctification is to God. How important is it? It is so important that He will pray this prayer as a last prayer for us before His death. His last and lasting prayer for us is holiness. Holiness. No, I think by now, there's no confusion on our part, what God desires for us, what God wants from us, what God demands from us. There's no, I think, confusion. If I were to take a quiz, you know, and ask you this question afterwards, you'd all get it. What does God want from us? You guys won't say, happiness, right? You'd very scourge me, right? You would sadden my heart. I doubt it. There is no confusion on what God wants, but there is so much confusion on how we are to achieve sanctification. There are so many varying, competing views on how we are to be sanctified, how we are to become holy. The God-ordained means through which we are to grow in sanctification. So here is the last uh, seven words of verse 17. It's a thunderous statement. It's incredible. And it hopefully... Uh, ends the debate, ends the argument, ends the confusion on how we are to be sanctified. The ordained means by which we are to grow in holiness. Christ prayed, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Holy Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. We find here, that God law of things by His Word. The consistency of God is incredible. The consistency of God in the Old and New Testament is, is clear and profound. In Genesis chapter 1, how did God create the world? How did God create the universe? He created it by His Word. By the Word. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. And there was. Not only did God create the world through His Word. He sustains the world by His Word. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 let's quote to you, verse 16. By Him all things were created, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. Verse 17, He is before, He is above. He is a, pro, a, a, a priority above all things. And in Him... All things hold together. Who is Him? It is Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by Him, all things were made. All things were created. So not only did God create the world through His Word, but He sustains the world through His Word. Everything holds together by His Word. And then we know, above above all people, that He saved us by the Word of God. He saved us by Scripture, by the Gospel. It wasn't this mysterious interchange, exchange that happened, where we accept Jesus and we feel electricity and Jesus comes into our hearts and all of a sudden, you know, uh, we're changed and we have no understanding of the Gospel. That is not how we are saved. We are saved through hearing the gospel, understanding it, and obeying the gospel personally. Romans 1.16 Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. I believe in the gospel because it is the dunamis, the dynamite of God that saves all people, Jews and Gentiles. Romans 10.17 Faith comes from hearing the message So if someone does not hear the message, they cannot be saved through dreams. They cannot be saved through visions. They cannot be saved directly by the Holy Spirit. Someone has to physically go with the Bible and proclaim this message to them because faith comes from hearing its truth. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. First Corinthians 15:2, Paul outlines how they were saved. "By this gospel you are saved. No other gospel saves you. Only this message, this truth, this word of Christ has saved you. So God created by His word, God sustains, God saves all by His word. And so it is no surprise, it should be no surprise to us, verse 17, that as Christians, He continues to work in us, operate in our hearts, by the Word of God. By the Word of God. Second Thessalonians 2.13 We always give thanks, thanks to God for you, beloved brothers, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. How about more directly? Psalm 119, 9, 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? A young man full of sinful lusts. How is that possible? How can I be pure before God and man? By living according to your word, the Word of God is the way out. The Word of God is the way to fight lust. The Word of God is a way to be purified by living according to Your Word. I have hidden Your Word in my heart. I have memorized, I have meditated on, your, on the Word of God, so that I might not sin against Thee. John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Right. Ephesians 5.26, the illustration of how Christ has made the church holy, and how husbands are to make their wives holy. Is by washing them with the water of God's word. Right? It's all husbands out there you want. Think your wife needs a bath, you go and you preach to her. Right? You just preach her the word of God and you wash her with scripture. You bathe her with the word of God and she becomes sanctified. Right? Last verse, first Peter one twenty two. You have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. How are we sanctified? By the truth, the ordained means, the God ordained method, the manner in which God will produce holiness in His people is through the Word of God. It is not through an event. It is not through going this, to these large rallies, you know, these promise keeper meetings where you have like a hundred thousand men in a stadium. With thunder sticks. Go Jesus, go Jesus. You know We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And getting into a fervor mindset and singing songs and, and having this emotional experience. That's not the biblical means. It is not through some holy man or holy, uh, quote-unquote, prophet or apostle laying hands on you and imparting you an anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's not the way. It is not through some emotional experience, some mystical, inward, charismatic experience through which we reach a higher level of Christianity. These are all counterfeit ways. These are all external ways. They're external decoration that has nothing to do with the inner man of the hidden person of the heart. No, the way to holiness is mundane. The way to righteousness really is unexciting. It's maybe, in the view of the world, it's kind of boring. It's too simple. It's too mundane. It is a man or a woman sitting down, meditating on the Bible, and praying to God, Search my heart. Test my thoughts. Oh God, see if there's any offensive way within me. Lord, open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things that are in your law and that I might see how far, how great is my shortcoming to your glory. How far I fall short of the standard of your righteousness. That is the way. It is through just coming to church and listening to the Word of God. The world hates preaching. The world can't stand it. Just the tone of it, it it provokes them to anger. If someone dare open the Bible and starts preaching from the Bible, their rebelliousness starts to rise up. And they'll walk out. They'll shake their fist. They'll write threatening letters. They'll threaten to take your life because they hate preaching. The last thing they'll do is go to a church that will preach the Word. For us. We go to a church to hear the word of God. Why? Because that is the God-ordained way for us to be sanctified. Verse 17 is so important for us. If you understand verse 17, you will understand Cornerstone Bible Church. You will understand our philosophy of ministry. You will understand why we do what we do. You will understand so much of my heart if you just understand verse 17. You understand our church. This is why the Bible is the authority of our church. This is why the Word of God is central in our body. That's why we have such a high commitment, quote-unquote, to the Word of God. You know, one response we get quite often from visitors is this. You know, we have visitors welcoming ministry and they tell us, "Oh, what did that person say, what did that person say? And, you know, people come and they go, oh, that's great, you know, i love it, I'll join. But a common response, after they sit through, you know, a 50-minute sermon, and then there's more after, right? You guys, they, they go to snacks, they think we're done, and i oh, have already stayed. There's another sermon, and it's supposed to be 30 minutes, but Pastor Jason always goes long, right? <laughs> and I go kind of long, and Marcus goes long. They go, my goodness, and you know what they say? Common refrain is, you guys are too intense. It's too much? Man, your, your church is too intense. Your sermons are too long. Too many verses. Right? Where are the stories? Where are the jokes? Where is the movie screen with uh, you know, clips from movies? Right? Where is the drama? Right? Too much truth. You know, and We are somewhat intense about the Word, are we not? I mean, we preach verse by verse on Sunday mornings. We started the Gospel of John like, five years ago and we're on John 17. Alright? I don't care how long it takes, I'll go slower. I mean, we, we want to we milk everything out of the Word of God as possible. And not only that, second hour we have Mary Fellowship, we have Young Adults, CCF, Evangelism Training, F, we have a 12-week membership class, Junior High students learning High Theology, Children's Ministry, Toddler's Ministry, learning the Word of God. Not only that, we have flocks where they're going through Genesis. Right? Like a four-year study in the book of Genesis. And then we have FOF2, as if FOF isn't enough. Right? There's an FOF2. And then we have CLI, Leadership Institute. And then we have CBI, a Bible Institute where we train the whole church. Why are we so intent on knowing and applying the Word of God? Because this is the only way for us to be sanctified. There's no other way. If praying in tongues sanctified us, I'll be the first one in line. I will pray in tongues 24-7. I'll pray in tongues more than any of you, right? If it's through some guy in India has his power to sanctify me, I'm the first one going to Expedia and buying tickets to India. So he'll lay hands on me and so I'll be sanctified, right? Because why? We want to be sanctified. We understand through the Word of God. There are, there are no shortcuts. There's no easy way. There's no tricks of the trade. There's no like, shortcuts to, to gain sanctification. There's only one way. The arduous way. The mundane way. The daily grind way through the Word of God. This is why we have such an intent on knowing and applying God's Word. We understand that there is a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship between God's Word and our sanctification, between our holiness, a direct correlation. Right? We understand our sanctification is directly dependent upon that. Let me go a little further. It is not just enough for us to to, to read God's Word or listen to sermons. We have to make sure that we have the right interpretation. Right? We have to make sure that our understanding of the Bible is correct. Because if we misinterpret the Bible, we don't have the Bible. Because the meaning is the Bible. Does that make sense? Right? The Bible, the meaning is the Bible. If you read the Bible and interpret it wrong, you might memorize the Bible, but you don't have the power of God's Word in your heart because you've interpreted it wrong. And let me give you a cheesy illustration. I use it all the time when I teach hermeneutics. Years ago, Bob told me this story, him and his friends were hanging around, and Bob, totally shakes his head, he's like, why did I tell James that story? <laughs> First of all, it's my story, why is he telling it? And then second, he's using it too much, but it's still funny. A bunch of his friends were hanging around, one guy said, let's go to Bob's. So they all went to Bob's home. One guy didn't show up. So next week, they're like saying, hey, where'd you go? We were waiting for you. I was waiting for you. What do you mean? I was at Bob's big boy waiting for you guys. And you guys never showed up. They were like saying, not Bob's big boy, but Bob's home. The guy misinterpreted, let's go to Bob's. Right? Simple misunderstanding led to, you know, one night where he missed out on fellowship. Not a big deal. But if you misinterpret the Bible, in terms of the Gospel, in terms of the essence of God, attributes of God, in terms of God's plan of salvation, in terms of God's will for us, in terms of how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, how the church ought to function. right? Uriah was killed on the spot. Why? Because he missed the memo, don't touch the ark. Right? Or he, you know, he fell asleep when they, were, when they were teaching that about how to treat the Ark. So when the Ark of the Covenant was falling to the ground, he grabbed it. God struck him dead, revealing God as a holy God. He expects and demands all His commands to be obeyed because He's a righteous God. Well, how much more are we to obey the Word of God as He intended us to obey? So it is not enough for us just to read and memorize the Word of God. We have to make sure that the paradigm that we have from the Word of God is accurate and consistent with the Scriptures. That is why we labor over the Scriptures privately, and your pastors labor over the original languages, and then on Sundays and on flock nights, we labor together over the Word of God, because it means our sanctification it means our sanctification to further emphasize this point let me flip the coin around and and point out to you that the opposite is true right that if only way to be sanctified is through the right understanding and an in-depth understanding and obedience to the word of God then the opposite is true that without the word of God sanctification is impossible the opposite is true. Without God's Word, true and practical sanctification is unattainable. We cannot grow as Christians apart from the Word of God. Now, I gave this illustration maybe a while back, but it, it directly uh, is, is appropriate for this point. Um, Last year in China, um, 13 babies died. 170 babies suffered malnutrition, uh, even uh, brain damage because moms fed their children milk powder, right? That ended to be ended up to be fake, right? And when they tested this, these, uh, uh, you know, formula milk found that the actual ingredients were nothing but starch, flour, and sugar. Right? So China is known to make, you know, fake Prada bags, you know, fake, you know, Microsoft XP programs, or fake Nikes, right? You know, you buy fake Nikes, you know, the, the soles fall out on you after a day, you lose that on five bucks, right? Ten bucks. Big deal. But you buy a fake formula and feed it to your daughter or son, and your daughter or son's not growing, There is shrinking in size, and by the time you realize what you're doing it is too late and your baby dies or if baby suffers permanent damage, that is a crime. That is significant. That is criminal. That's happening in the church today. That's happening in the church today by some well meaning pastors or some pastors who have no business being pastors who have no business standing behind a pulpit opening the Word of God, because they're utterly negligent in their work. They should be, you know, sued and, and kicked out of the uh, uh, ministry, because what they're doing is criminal. Because instead of giving the pure milk of God's Word, that would cause believers to grow up in their salvation, First Peter 2, two, they're giving fake truths, false truths, compromised truths, which is error, to God's people, and it's causing them to be stunted in their growth. Causing them to be perpetually baby Christians. They never grow beyond the gospel. They're in a church for 10, 20, 30 years, listening to countless sermons, and at the end of 20 years, they know God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me. And, you know, Noah and the flood. And they don't know anything beyond the deep doctrines of God's plan for salvation, who God is, who Christ is, what He has done, and what He demands for us. So many in the church are fed junk food. Walter Kaiser said this, it is no secret that Christ's church is not at all in good health in many places of the world She has been languishing because she has been fed, as the current line has it, junk food. All kinds of artificial preservatives and all sorts of unnatural substitutes have been served up to her. As a result, theological and biblical malnutrition has afflicted the very generation that has taken such giant steps to make sure its physical health, is not damaged by using foods or products that are carcinogenic or otherwise harmful to their physical bodies. A worldwide spiritual famine resulting from the absence of any genuine publication of the Word of God continues to run wild in most parts of the church. Amos said there will come a day there will be a famine, not a famine for food, not a famine for water, but a famine of hearing the Word of God. The Word of God will abide forever. But there will come a day when no one will preach God's Word. And Paul prophesied this to Timothy before he died. He said, there will be dangerous times ahead of you, Timothy, when these people will surround, gather around them, teachers will teach them what their itching ears want to hear. So these teachers will cater to people, instead of teaching God's truth as it is, they will teach people what they want to hear, and give them error, causing them, some, to be, um, to to go on in a state of false assurance, because they're teaching error, there's so many who are non-Christians, they think that they're Christians, because they're preaching peace, peace, safety, safety, all is well, God loves you, don't question your salvation, there are all these people who are non-Christians, They think they're Christians. And these pastors are lulling them to passivity. And they say, everything's fine. You'll be okay. And then on Matthew 7, Christ says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? And Christ will say, never have I known you. And they'll say, that's not what I was taught at church. That's not what my pastor or small group leader told me, my youth pastor told me. Or well, regardless, you are cul- culpable before God. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. And they will pay an eternal price because they were lied to. God is sovereign. But practically, because of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, someone posing as a pastor, posing as a teacher, lied to them. They were led astray. But for Christians, they will be lifelong baby Christians. Never grow beyond the basic gospel message. For them, true sanctification is a foreign experience. They have no discernment because they're eating junk food all their lives. Their appetite has uh, been acclimated to junk food. So when they hear the Word of God, they can't digest it, they can't handle it. Even they've been Christians for 5, 10, 20 years, the Word of God has to be, you know, like a you know, one-year-old child, right? A year and a half. You have to cut food up really fine. or You have to mix it up for them like right? in a blender, because they can't digest solid food. So you have these people, you have to tell them, you know, God loves you, but also God is holy. And stop there, because they can't digest the Word of God. Because they've been fed junk food for so long. They, they have no understanding, no insight, or limited insight, limited wisdom in and from the Scriptures. And because they've been fed junk food, spiritually, they're filled with pride. They're filled with self-righteousness, and personal legalism. And so their hearts are not open to the gospel. It's a it's an awful, spiraling, downward cycle where without God's grace, they're ensnared in that trap for a long time, if not forever, for their whole lifetime. That's why Paul said to the the Corinthian church, I cannot address you as spiritually, as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. First Corinthians fourteen twenty, brothers, stop thinking like children. Stop thinking like infants. This is largely due to the fact that so many pastors and teachers in the church do not teach the whole counsel of God's Word. At the same time, believers are not victims. Believers are responsible and they are taught to crave the pure milk of God's Word. And G.C. Rowell said this, "There's a shameful scandal in the church today." He said, "I write this statement with sorrow. I dare say it will be received by some with surprise, if not, with incredulity, but I write it down calmly and deliberately, and I am certain that it is true. I have no doubt that there are more Bibles at this moment than there ever were since the world began there is more Bible buying and Bible selling, more Bible printing and Bible distributing than ever was. We see Bibles in every bookseller's shop, Bibles of every size, price and style, Bibles great, Bibles small, Bibles for the rich, Bibles for the poor, but all this time, I fear we are in the danger of forgetting that to have the Bible is one thing, to read it, is quite another. I fear that there are many parts of the wor- world, there are many parts of the Word which some people never read at all. And the scandal of Cornerstone is that we are so well taught, but there are still so many of you who just do not read the Bible. Right? Just do not meditate on God's Word, are not memorizing it, are not in it consistently and are not obeying the Word of God. It is scandalous. It makes sense for someone who's been fed junk food and they don't have the opportunity to, to learn God's Word and be equipped with the Word of God. But it's scandalous. In a church like ours, still to this day, believers who've been here for years are not personally taking in the Word of God, meditating on day and night and delighting in it. If you will not do that, then sanctification is still beyond your grasp. It's still unattainable for you because there is no other way. I so wish that I could just lay hands on you for you to be sanctified. Then I lay hands on myself first. But there's only one way. It is through the Word of God. A few final thoughts to close our time and close our study on verse 17. One thought is that our sanctification honors God's Word. Honors God's Word. Our ultimate goal is not our sanctification. It's not for us to be holy. Hey, everybody look at me. I'm holy. You know, I'm righteous. I'm pure. That's not the goal. We want to be sanctified because when we are sanctified, it honors God's Word. Idea of 1 Timothy 3.15 Paul says, The church of the living God it is the pillar and buttress of truth. In Ephesus, to which these letters were written, the word pillar had a special significance because in the city of Ephesus, there was the Temple of Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. One of the distinct features of the Temple of Diana was its many pillars, 127 pillars each one of them the gift of a king. All were made of marble. Some were studded with jewels, overlaid with gold. Often a statue of a famous man is set on top of a pillar that it might stand out above all ordinary things. And that people might clearly see the statue on top of this pillar. That's the idea here. We want to be sanctified, we we want to be holy, we want to be set apart. Why? Because we want to uphold the Word of God. We want to be a pillar for God's Word. And we want the world to see that God's Word is true, that God's Word is sweet, that God's Word is precious, that God's Word is right, that God's Word saves and sanctifies, that the Word of God is powerful, that it is inerrant, it is infallible, that it is sufficient it is sad to say that if you want to hear the truth you go to a Protestant church you want to see the truth you go to a cult you want to see believers really live out the word of God go to the Mormon church go to the Jehovah Witnesses go to these maybe cultic places that are legalistic they are very authoritative but you know what, they pray you know, they actually evangelize now they live sacrificially they don't have the truth but they have right life but you go to a Protestant church, you'll hear the truth, but you look at people's lives, and you're full of compromise, right? full of tainted by sin. That's not how it's supposed to be. We are to be sanctified holy. Why? So that we would uphold the Word of God, honor it, held, hold it high, because that honors God. That glorifies Christ. Second thought is that our sanctification encourages your pastors, your flock shepherds, your small group leaders. These are the professional hazards of ministry, part and parcel. You know, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. But man, being a pastor is discouraging because you see Christians, we're Christians, they don't obey the Word. So I have met pastors... In the privacy of our fellowship they just admit they've lost faith in the Word of God. They don't believe in the Word of God anymore. So they don't really preach the Word of God anymore. It doesn't work. You preach God's word and people just leave. You preach God's word and people fall asleep. You preach God's word and people don't get it. Right? It's better to just tell stories and, you know, just give a good entertainment, good show because at least it draws a crowd. At least you can you know, keep your head held high in, in, in your family and in your community because you have a church that is somewhat growing. At least you're not losing sleep. At least you're not you know, oppressed day in and day out because of the people, because of their sinfulness, because of their lack of growth, lack of fruit, because of their lack of response. You know what happens when you are sanctified, when you grow in maturity, when you are set apart for Christ? Right, that encourages your leaders. That pumps them up. That gives them hope. That gives them confidence in the Word of God. That want, it makes them want to love you more, pray for you more, teach you more, care for you more. The way to encourage your leaders is not buying them food, buying them meals. It's not, you know, like gifts and, and, and you know, money or whatever. It's not these things the chief way to encourage your shepherds, and your pastors, your elders, is by being sanctified. Because our heart is to honor God's word through sanctification. Finally, take ownership of your sanctification. Take ownership of your sanctification. You know, like Elizabeth grows up to be like 10 years old and she says to Daddy, I'm hungry. I'll respond. Well, don't you have hands? What's wrong with you? Right, don't you have feet? There's the kitchen, right? You know, open up that, you know, peanut butter and jelly and make a sandwich for yourself and make one for Daddy while you're at it. Alright? <laughs> right, how old are you? Alright? No, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Well, there's the water bottle. You get in, open it up and drink if you're thirsty. Alright? Some believers say, I'm not growing. If you're not growing... How old are you? Right? What don't you understand? Are you going to blame your flock shepherd? You Blame the church? Blame the world? Blame your parents? No, you're old enough to take ownership of your sanctification. If you're not growing, then feast upon the Word of God. Read God's Word. Open it. Meditate on it. Resolve in your heart to obey. Right? Keep the Word of God. Because then and only then will you grow and be sanctified as a believer. If you say, I'm not growing, then, then grow. Right? Take ownership of your Christian life. Take hold of God's Word and honor the Lord. Encourage your leaders by growing in holiness, being set apart in righteousness. Oh, Holy Father, we do thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for without the Word of God, not only will we not know Your will for us, not only will we not know how we are to obey Your will, Lord, we will miss out on the heat and passion behind Your commands may our vision of Christ be clear on the eve of His death that He prayed for us that right now the right hand of God He continues to pray for us and His prayer is that we will be sanctified. Oh Lord, David prayed years ago that You would not take the Holy Spirit from Him. Our prayer is the same. That you will not take the words inspired by the Holy Spirit from us Lord that we would not test your patience to a point where you would say I'm going to hide the word from your eyes you will hear but not understand you will see but you will not perceive you will listen but your heart will be hardened because we were so faithless to the word of God we were so unfaithful and so proud and, and take the word of God for granted Lord we pray that, that would not be so for us Lord that you would not take the Bible from us take the Bible away from our minds from our hands from our hearts from our lives if you were to take the Bible from us Lord it would all be lost we would not be able to be holy tasting the sweetness of your of your glory in its fullness Lord, while we still have the Bible in our hands, may we take hold of it. And may we individually, O God, resolve to feast upon the Word of God. Lord, may we resolve to be, that it will be our meditation day and night. That the Word of God will be hidden in our hearts. That it will be our song. Lord, it will be our shield, our refuge. It will be the source of our comfort. That the Word of God will, will be a fire burning within our souls that will be weary of holding it in and that out of the overflow of our lives we will declare it to this world oh God may our passion be singular, singular for your word where you have ordained that we will be like you through the word of truth we thank you for praying for us oh Lord help us Give us grace as we seek to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.